Accelerating to a better future, an insight into innovation at Imperial. Hello and welcome to this edition of Insights into Accelerating to a Better Future, a series of short podcasts that give you a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the science and thinking behind the main series. In today's episode, we're exploring the vitally important topic of greenhouse gas extraction, which is complex but crucial if we're to reach our net zero goals by 2050. And who better to be discussing this with than Professor Nile Shah, Director of the Centre for Process Systems Engineering at Imperial, who was recently awarded an OBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours for his services to decarbonisation industry in the UK. We're in the hands of an expert. Nile, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I wonder if we could start with, I guess, which is the probably very basic question, that what actually is greenhouse gas extraction? It's a, it's a way of actively removing carbon dioxide that's already in the atmosphere. So sometimes people confuse it with greenhouse gas mitigation, and it's worth comparing the two. So greenhouse gas mitigation, which is the bulk of the work that all the countries around the world are doing in reducing emissions, is trying to stop greenhouse gases, especially carbon dioxide, ever getting into the atmosphere. And that's really the primary focus at the moment all around the world to meet our climate change targets. It's stopping carbon dioxide getting into the atmosphere. But we have two challenges. One, that despite our ability to do that, the, the level keeps growing and therefore it's going to reach a point at which it's above where we want it to be. And second of all, even with the best will in the world, we'll never stop every little bit of carbon dioxide getting into the atmosphere. So in addition to mitigation, we have to follow this parallel track of greenhouse gas removal, which is once it's got into the atmosphere, we need ways of getting it back out of the atmosphere. And there's a whole range of processes to do that. And, and that's really what greenhouse gas removal is all about. And we're also talking, are we about the greenhouse gases that are there naturally or are there as a result of other things other than our pollution activities? So I'm thinking about the ones that are perhaps being released now from the Arctic as the ice is yes. melting or, or coming out of the peat bogs when people cut the peat bogs open. That's right. So as I say, that's one of the reasons why it's almost impossible to stop greenhouse gases getting into the atmosphere, because not only are they um, a function of human activities, but there are also some natural processes that sort of used to be in balance, but there's evidence that they're a little bit out of balance. So we are going to need to remove carbon dioxide, particularly from the atmosphere. And therefore, we need to research and develop practical, resource efficient, cost effective ways of doing that, and ways of doing that that don't cause other problems at the same time. I should imagine there's quite a lot that needs to be removed because we've not been conscious particularly of our greenhouse gas emitting behaviours until relatively recently, have we? I mean, if we think about the kind of our lifespan of our industrial lives. So there must be quite a lot that's there that we have to compensate for as yes. well as working to, to balance the stuff that's coming out already at the moment. That's right. So I think a good example, if we want to use round numbers, is the United Kingdom where our current emissions of greenhouse gases are about 500 million tonnes a year of CO2 equivalent. And with the best will in the world, by changing the way we have our transport system, our energy system, our industrial system, we may get that down to about 100, maybe 80, maybe, you know, with amazing technology down to 50 million. But somewhere between 50 and 100 million is where we can get to by 
reducing our emissions with new technology. So even when we've completely transformed the United Kingdom, we'll still be emitting 50 to 100 million tons a year of CO2 equivalent. And that means we're going to have to have some technologies to remove at least that amount from the atmosphere because we can't avoid putting it into the atmosphere. So we're talking about somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of our current emissions. We will need technologies to extract those from the atmosphere. That sounds like quite a big task to me. I mean, have we got the technologies to do that? I mean, how does it actually work? It's a big task. And the way we would do that is through a range of things. So there are quite a few natural things that we should start with, which is increasing forest cover, restoring peatlands and coastal wetlands, maybe changing some farming and other agricultural practices. And that could start locking in maybe between maybe 10 to 20 million of that, 50 million, maybe a bit more can come from that. We can increase the amount of carbon in the soil through adding biochar, which is like charcoal, and there's a way of taking biomass, absorb CO2 and making a solid form that goes in the soil. You can do power plants, which use biomass, which has captured carbon dioxide from the atmosphere, and then capture the CO2 from those power plants and put it underground. And then ultimately, you're going to need engineering technologies that literally suck CO2 out of the air. Those are called direct air capture technologies. So these are new engineered plants, process plants that will have a lot of air flowing through them, will take the CO2 out of the air and then have to store that in some form that is locked away for, for decades. And when we chatted to Tim Kruger about his his um, work with Origin Power and the fact that he's using lime and he's um, extracting the CO2 and, and, and then burying it, I mean, when you, the, the power plant you've just described sounds similar, but I guess it works in a slightly different way. I mean, what do they do? And would we ever get enough capacity using that method to, to offset the, the amount that we need to do? Um, both, you, you need all the methods, first of all. I think that's the, one of the points that well, there won't be a single way of doing it because of the numbers involved. So there's going to be some power generation with biomass, and it has a similar feature to it, which is there's a point at which you're producing carbon dioxide, which you mustn't let into the atmosphere. So you need to capture that and put it underground. And the same happens when you're producing the lime. So when you're producing the lime in the kiln, normally a lime kiln produces carbon dioxide, fairly pure carbon dioxide. So what you do is you capture that carbon dioxide and put that underground, and then the lime can be used in a number of ways either you know, on, on the land or ultimately possibly even in the ocean, where it will naturally absorb carbon dioxide and, and lock it away. And that's because you've, you've taken the carbon dioxide out of the limestone, put it underground, the lime turns back into limestone and absorbs carbon dioxide. So in that cycle, overall, you've absorbed carbon dioxide. Whereas with the plants, they absorb carbon dioxide first, then you generate energy, you release carbon dioxide, but you lock it underground. So again, over the whole cycle, We've absorbed carbon dioxide. And what role does the UK have to play in this? Because the sense I'm getting of talking to lots of your colleagues at Imperial is that we're really at the cutting edge of some of this technology and that we're leading the field in terms of clean tech and green tech. Is that true? And, and have we got the capacity to scale up in the way that we need to to tackle this problem? Yes. Uh, first of all, I think the UK's set a, a good example by having a net zero target by 2050. So that, first of all, sets a legal framework. To achieve this. And second of all, we have a lot of strengths in, in research and development. So we have a lot of interesting research ideas coming through and technology coming through 
that's at the innovative end. The challenge for the UK is always is does it have enough scale to deploy all of these technologies so that we can get them to the level at which we're getting good cost reductions and we're able to do things that are material. So we have demonstrated that with offshore wind, that it's an industry now that operates at, at a scale that's large and at a cost that is reasonable. So in principle, if, if these technologies started to get similar support to the, to, to the way the offshore wind industry receives support, then you could see that that could be deployed at scale. But the reality is, ultimately, you'd want to have some kind of large regional or international collaborations so that we can share the best ideas and get them deployed at scale and learn by doing. And do you see that happening? I mean, have you, are, you, are you hopeful that, that we'll be able to yes, get I'm that kind of international? Yes, I'm hopeful. And I think that's because actually it won't necessarily even be governments that drive a lot of this forward. It will be foundations and companies so a lot of companies have set net zero targets and they're very interested in, in advancing these technologies as well. So I think this is an area where we might actually see the non-government sector, the third sector and the industrial and commercial world actually accelerating these things ahead of particular policies that will enable them to be developed at scale. Because there seems to be a lot of interest in how companies practically get to net zero, and they see this as part of their armory. And is there a role for the average consumer in this at all, or is it has it got to really be sitting with the specialists and with the expert technology, and also with the businesses? Yeah, is think, there anything we can do just yes, to general consumers? Yes, so there are offset companies that are starting to invest in these technologies, and so the average consumer, if they're choosing offset options for some of their products, like energy or flights or anything like that. They can actually choose offsets that invest in these technologies. So each one of us, and there are even charities that are starting to emerge for carbon offsets, which are moving away from some of the older types of offsets into these greenhouse gas removal technologies, either through um, the biological and natural processes, or indeed, even some of these engineered processes. That's why I'm confident that actually things will happen faster than just by classical government supported approaches. Yeah, because we do need to speed up, don't we? Because we've got we a, a really, really big challenge on our hands. Years, you know, 30 it's years. Not, it's not actually very long. It's not very long. And and if you think about the lifetime of a tree and how long it takes to, to grow a tree, because people think, oh, I'll plant some trees and that'll help offset. Yeah. And it does. But it's only a tiny fraction of what we need to do. And actually, it's probably not quick enough. So so the the energy that's going into developing the kinds of technologies you're talking about is one that we need desperately, I think, in the UK yes. and globally. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's a very hopeful picture. Thank you for that. And a fantastically clear and um, useful explanation. And I'm not remotely surprised (laughs) that you won your OBE, nor that you're a skilled teacher. So I'm sure that your students and the rest of us will benefit from from your knowledge going forward. But thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you for your exposition. I think that's the best word for it. And it's been delightful to talk to you. Yes, likewise. Thank you and goodbye. Bye. You can catch other episodes in this series, both the main podcasts and the insights, by visiting the Grantham Institute website or catch them on theplanetpod.com. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Accelerating to a Better Future is a Planet Pod production, co-hosted by Amanda Carpenter and Richard Templer. Our thanks to our producer, Jim Hayward, and the team at Imperial College London.